Okay, if you're taking, if you're taking notes this morning, I'm talking about uh, church membership. Now, be, before you nod off, <laughs> some of you are like, oh my gosh, I got up for this. Um, I'm going to say a lot about a, a few different things, and ultimately I want to talk about why church membership matters. Uh, because it's, and then, then that may not sound very exciting, but it, I think it's massively important and massively exciting and affects actually every part of your life, um, which hopefully we'll see um, clearly. Um, uh, quite a few of you took part in our recent discipleship survey audit um, thing. We had about 100 people, roughly, who did it. Um, and 50% of the people who filled that out um, aren't members of Parkhurst Community Church. Um, so 50%, roughly 50% are and 50% aren't. And there was lots of interesting stuff and um, revealing stuff in the survey. But one of the things that was interesting in the survey is that there was no um, massive change in behavior between members and non-members. Um, those of you who, who are members and those of you who said you aren't members, you basically do the same things. You read your Bibles about the same, you pray about the same, you give about the same, in frequency, um, you serve about the same, and you're about as committed to community groups the same across that. There's no discernible difference between members and non-members. Why am I sharing that with you? Because that's both encouraging and discouraging in different ways. Um, I think it's encouraging because many of you are not uh, hanging around waiting to become members before you get involved. You're in, and you're doing it, and you are living um, thriving and thriving and thriving-ish Christian lives, uh, even though you're not members of Parker's Community Church. You're just getting on with it, and you're serving in, in meaningful ways in the church as well. Um, that's encouraging. The discouraging part of it is that I think there's a, a, a lower view that we need of the value and the importance of church membership and, and what it actually means to be a, a member of a local church. Um, I think before we look at what membership is it's easier to start with what membership isn't and debunk some of those things and some of our views of what membership is. Um, some of you grew up um, in, I'll call them denominational kind of churches, and you have a, maybe a membership certificate or a christening certificate, or you got confirmed or you whatever else, and you've got, maybe your parents kept that for you. I had it for a while. My mom kept some like certificate from some church where I got christened or what else in, you know, this white like um, Awful, awful, like it looked like a curtain had been ripped off, whipped off and wound around me kind of thing. You know, but back in the day, that was the thing. How many of you have got a picture like that? Do I have any friends? Oh, thank goodness. Oh, there's quite a, oh, wow. Hey, we should start our own little church, just the, the christened ones amongst us. You know, and then you joined the church then, and you got a, like a certificate that, you know, because when you get to heaven, that's the first thing they're going to ask you for is like, show the certificate, okay, in you come, you know, like. That's why they hand out certificates. We just give you a, a travel coffee mug. I don't know what that's going to do when you get, you can't take it with you. Um, you're going to be in trouble if you were part of Parkhurst. But that's the one view, is that, is that you join the church. It's like, a, it's like a denomination. It's like a country club kind of thing. You, you go through whatever else, or if you were in that um, arrangement I spoke about, your parents make the decision for you to join. And sometimes you can tell people who come from that background, because you, if you ask them, are oh, you a Christian, they'll answer with something like, yes, I'm a Methodist. Or, yes, I'm an Anglican. I was like, no, that wasn't the question. The question was, are oh, you a Christian? It's like, yes, I'm an Anglican. I said, no, I'm not asking if you're an Anglican. I don't care what you are, what variety of plant you are. I want to know if you're a plant. Are you with me? So, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to upset everyone. I'm apologize and in, in advance. At some point today, you're going to get upset. So I'm, I'm sorry. All right, genuinely. Yeah. Um, some people think the church is like a, a, a country club, a book club. You join. There's like a membership thing. There's people who are in, people who are out. Um, some people think it's like a rotary club. You know, like we're, we're good people. We do good things. I don't know much about the Rotary Club, so if you're part of the Rotary Club, this is not a swing at them, but I don't know. They just get together, and they seem to do a lot of good things. I don't know where they do it, their meetings and stuff. I know they just, they seem to like build things and maintain things and whatever else, and am I on the wrong track? Is anyone being part of a Rotary Club? You're not going to mention it now after that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, some people see that as the church. It's like a club that you join that do good things, and we're part of the Parkhurst kind of rotary club you join here and we as a church we do good things together and and it's okay you can go and join another another kind of club and some people think the church is like like a rewards program like uh, discovery miles or ebucks or something like that that you give and then it entitles you to like access to like benefits um, spiritual benefits or other benefits kind of thing and i could keep going on all the dysfunctions of what church isn't but it's none of those, it's none of those things. This is, not a, this is not a club that you've joined. This is not a do-good society. This is not a, a, a reward system where you're leveling up. And you get treated better the more you give, and the closer to the front that you sit. Jay, I mean, you're right in the front. This, I mean, the Lord's taking note of, of where you sit today. It's, it's none of those things. But what is the church? Because unless we become crystal clear on what a church is, membership means nothing. Membership means nothing if you don't know what you're joining. And I, I understand some of you are members of Parkhurst. I'm looking around, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, 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 members, members, members. Um, and so this is a reminder for those of you who are members, and it's, a, it's an encouragement, it's a clarification for those of you who aren't members. But before we get to membership, I want to talk about, I want to talk about the church, because this is, this is almost more exciting. Uh, what is the church? Well, the, the church is both a universal thing and a local thing. And then some of this is, I'm mentioning it and belaboring some of these points because we, we live in a world where there's so much confusion even amongst Christians around what a church is and what it means to be a Christian. Um, we have, because of our hyper-individualized society, uh, moved to a place where you can be a Christian, well, the, the thought is that you can be a Christian but you don't have to go to church. Because uh, being a Christian is about having a relationship with Jesus. He forgives your sin, he makes you new, and you, know, you have this love relationship with, with Jesus. But you know, if you can't go to a church, or maybe you haven't found a church you like, either you don't have to go, or you go to one and then no one said hi to you there, um, or they were, they were nasty to you, or you, know, you were there as a couple and then you broke up and now you can't go back there again, so now you just don't go to church, but you're still a Christian. And we live in that world because the importance of the relationship is an individual thing. And I would say that that's, that is true. There is a true element to the fact that you do have an individual relationship with Jesus. But you don't have it divorced from being part of the church. You don't have it divorced from being part of it. There's no such thing. And I didn't make this up. This is all in the Bible. This is where I got this from. You actually become part of a collective which is stronger than the individual thing. The fact that you are brought into the people of God, the Bible speaks more about the plural than it does about the individual. 
You are, you are, by God's grace, you join the people of God. It's less of an emphasis on the sinner's prayer, me and God all together. That's why it's essential that you are part of a local church. It proves that you are part of the universal church. Now, what is the universal church? The universal church is all believers from all time. Okay? Some are await. We don't exactly know where they are. Okay? They're in heaven. They're waiting to go to heaven. They're floating around. Who knows? They're dead. They're not with us anymore. Uh, one day we will see them again. I don't want to get lost in the whole soul sleep. What happens when you die? We'll do a series on that another time. Uh, but they're believers in Jesus, and they're not, they're not with him yet in the new heavens and the new earth yet because we're still here. So one day we're all going to be together in the new heavens and the new earth. All believers from all time will be together with God. He will, Jesus, he will be our king. He will reign on the earth with us. That's, that's what the Bible says, that we, he will be our God and we will be his people. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more disease, no more dying, nothing. Everything will be exactly as God intended it to be. The only people who will be with God there is the church. But it's the universal church. It's all believers from every nation, tribe, and tongue, from every age throughout history. We will all be together. Now, it's one thing to be part of that, and it's glorious, and it's amazing. And listen to how Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 2. From verse 9, he says, But you, speaking about the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's, there's so much in there. There's a whole sermon in there. I think we've actually preached a sermon. You can go and have a look at our Peter series there on this. But you, you weren't a people, now you're a people. You hadn't received mercy, now you have received mercy. No one is born a Christian. doesn't matter what family you grew up in. You know, sometimes people in their testimonies, they, the language gets a bit clunky. Like, I've always known, known God. No, you haven't. No. Maybe the earliest recollection you can have is of knowing God. But you, did, you weren't born a Christian. No one is born a Christian. You had not received mercy, and then you did receive mercy. You weren't a people, then you became a people, and the purpose of you becoming a part of the people of God is that we would declare the glory of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But we are, we are a people, a, a race, a priesthood, a nation. That's the universal church that we're part of, but that universal church has to exist in local expressions. That's what Parker's community church is. It's a, it's a local expression of the universal um, family of God. And it's based on geography. That's partly why we call the church Parkhurst Community Church. Now, it doesn't mean that you can only attend if you live in Parkhurst. Some of you drive quite far to get here, and that's fine. That's how, that's how it works. But if you, look at your, if you look at the Bible, those letters, it says, to the saints in there's seven letters in Revelation written to the church in, the church in, the church in. Paul um, goes and plants all these churches, and then he writes them letters to the church in Corinth. There, there, there. Ephesus, Galatia. There's areas and places uh, bound by geography that our churches is not just like, hey, Christians, all the time, uh, all over the place. And each local church is meant to be an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. This is very important. It's a local, earthly outpost of the kingdom of heaven. Because there is a king, 
and he does reign. And his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And it finds expression at the moment in local outposts called churches that are almost like embassies, if you want. They're almost embassies where like a representation of another place where Christ is king. But Paul understood this. Remember in, in Philippians um, 3 verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so it'll be like his glorious body. Are you a South African or are you a citizen of heaven? Which one comes first? Because you are both. Which one comes first? Yes, correct answer. You're a citizen of heaven before you're a South African. The truest, because that citizenship will last longer and it's more important. And, it's, and it, it should change the way that we think about our lives. You are here representing another place. You live, that's why Paul uses the language of ambassadors. You're an ambassador of the kingdom because your citizenship lies in heaven with King Jesus. And you're part of a kingdom of people, a kingdom of priests, the people of God. And so each local church needs to live like that, live like an outpost of a kingdom that at the moment exists not on earth in invisible form, but one day it will. The kingdom of God will come fully to the new heavens and the new earth. Now, the, the Bible has a lot of different metaphors for the church. There's a lot. And we're not going to go through all of them because we'd be here the whole day. But there are a couple that I want to touch on because they bring to life some of who we are and how we should function. Uh, one of them is, is the metaphor of the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Um, I've done a lot of weddings, and I often used to preach on Ephesians chapter 5 at weddings. Uh, you, do you know the, f the famous passage? These days, most people tell me not to mention it, especially if they're not Christians. They're like, you can do whatever you want, but don't mention that thing about the husband submitting to the wife, the wife submitted to the husband. They, they are, that's the version they want. Like, can you just, I'll pay you extra. Just change it up a little bit. Spice things up there. The wife submitting to the husband. Can't say that. Don't say that. Talk about love and whatever else. Talk about the fairies, but don't mention that the wife has to submit. And that passage, uh, if you're familiar with Ephesians 5, is a long passage of how husbands and wives should relate to one another and what they should do. And it's very important and it's very helpful. If you want to know how to be a better husband or wife, you just camp out in Ephesians 5. It'll, it'll help you. It's tough. It's tough. It's super tough. It's the, the toughest passage around marriage that you'll read in the Bible. But there's something at the end of it. If you have a look in verse 32, um, that is very revealing. Paul says at the end in verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound. He's been going on the whole chapter about husbands and wives and marriage. He says, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about Christ and the church. So what do you mean, Paul? You've just been talking about husbands and wives for like the longest time in the most detail here. Is yeah, the mystery is profound. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Marriage is a shadow. Marriage is a shadow and a pointer to something more important. Your marriage, if you're married, is a pointer to the relationship Christ has with the church. It's a shadow. It's something that... You know, it you know, draws its light from something else, but it's also pointed, points towards it. Why am I saying this? 
because your marriage will come to an end. Your marriage will come to an end through whatever thing, normally, Lord willing, by death. You're not going to be married in heaven. That's what it says. It says you're not going to be married in heaven. But Christ and the church is eternal. Christ and the church is eternal. So marriage points to that. He's gone on this whole um, thing about how husbands should be and how wives should be and how you should relate together. He says, this is given to you. Marriage is given to us so we can better understand the relationship that Jesus has with the church. Isn't that cool? That when you get married, the part of the purpose of your marriage is that you can better understand an eternal relationship that you have been brought into as the people of God. And we are obviously the church. We're the bride of Christ. He is the groom. But this is an astounding metaphor, the bride of Christ. Another, another metaphor is the body. We, we know these verses. Well, let, let, me, let me read them from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because it's important. From verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weak are indispensable. This image of body is massively, massively important. Because every, it, it affirms for us, this is where we get the truth from, that we are a part of a body that has different gifts. So if you're part of the body, if you're a believer, you're either a hand, an eye, a foot, or whatever else, but you have a unique purpose that strengthens the broader body. And it's really important to understand what part of the body are you, so how should you function? Imagine you're a hand and you try to act like a foot. You're going to mess the body up. I mean, you know, we can keep going with this illustration. If you're an ear, you can try to be this. So, so what part are you? What are your gifts? What, what has God, this is particularly now for those who call Parkhurst their home. Guys, what is your spiritual gift? What, what, are the, what are the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given you for the strengthening of this body? I ask that question to a lot of people and they scratch their heads. Like, I don't know. I'm just a nice person, so I can serve on the welcome connect team. Like I can say hi. Like yeah, I mean, most people can do that. You can train children to do that. What is the unique? I'm not just in the connect team. I mean, we're thankful for the way you Oak serve. But what I'm saying is that it's it's not as some people are spiritually gifted with hospitality and friendship and warmth and stuff like that. What is the unique role that you play that brings a health to the broader body that might be different from? You've got the hands and the feet. Not everyone's going to be the hands. Where are the feet? Where are the ears? What role do you play? Do you know? If you don't know, you need to figure it out. That was part of the joy of the journey with YZ and Liz. 
part of lots of questionnaires. They did more of the hard work and stuff. But a team of us listening in and saying, this is what we see in you guys. Not just a couple of us. There's a whole, what a whole bunch of us see in you over a sustained period of time. This is where we see your lives bearing fruit, blessing people, helping others. We all affirm this together. It's not them coming and saying, you know what, I feel like this is, I'm a hand. It's like, okay, cool, but you look a lot like an ear. Like, no, I'm a hand. No, no, you, you, you definitely look like an ear. No, I'm a hand. You can be so convinced yourself of what you are, but that's part of how the body is wired, that we affirm each other's gifts. So get into some kind of community where people can affirm your gifts and call out the strengths and the help that you bring to this body and then do that with all of the power and the strength that God gives you. I've got very limited gifts and I just do those things. I don't try and do other things. I just I'm going to kind of stay in my lane. And this, this passage is massively helpful because near the end of it, it says um, the... The I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And for the, maybe for the first time I'd read this passage, those words need hit me. I don't need you. There is a need that you have in your life that will only be met by the rest of this body. I'll say it again. There are needs in your life that will only be met by the rest of the people in this body. That's why you need to be part of a local church. Otherwise, you are deficient. You're lacking because the, the needs that you have, they are met by the rest of the body that God has joined you to. And all the gifts are the same in value. I know we prioritize, you know, like sometimes the speaking gifts or the singing gifts or whatever, but I'm not more gifted than anyone else here just because I speak the most. We are all gifted. The body has different parts that are all um, designed by God to do different things for the health of the body. What's another metaphor? The family. Have a look in 1 Timothy chapter 5. The metaphor of the family. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. The church of Jesus Christ is your closest family. It's your closest family. I'm not, I'm not dunking on your families. Some of you have got wonderful families. Some of you less wonderful families. I'm not talking about that. What I'm pointing us to is the reality in the scriptures that the church of Jesus Christ is your closest family. It's your eternal family. Our earthly families are given to us for a while. You are brought into an eternal family with the children of God, the people of God, brothers and sisters, fathers, mothers. Have a look around the room. Have a look, like genuinely, like this is not like, oh, yeah, yeah. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. You will be with these people for eternity. Now, that may not delight some of you. You'll be like, I was hoping. I mean, you can join another part of the kingdom of heaven. You know, you can have a break. In heaven, you won't be frustrated with each other. <laughs> How's that? Good news all around. These are, I will eternally be a brother to David. Forever, bro. We are brothers forever. I have a brother. I do have a brother. I know there's a secret to some people. I try to keep him tucked away kind of thing. Like, he's my earthly brother. He is a Christian, so we'll be to brothers in heaven. Claire is my wife now. She will be my sister 
in Christ for all eternity. These are important things I'm mentioning because it matters how you treat people. If you're young here and you're dating someone in this church, you're dating your brother or your sister in Christ. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Seriously, it would save a lot of Christians tons of heartache if you saw the person you were dating or pursuing for marriage as a brother or sister in Christ first. Some of you know what I'm saying. You bear the scars of getting it wrong. We're a family. And families stick together through good and bad. This is a family. And families, that's it. Paul says to Timothy, hey, treat the older men as fathers. Look to them for wisdom. Don't be overly harsh with them. Be gracious to them. Exhort them as a father. Hey, younger men, treat them as brothers. You older guys here, the younger men are your brothers. They're your sons. Are you pouring your life into them if you're a bit older here? We don't have tons of older men. That's one thing we're praying for is more older guys. Because we need some dads to pour their lives into the younger men in this church. We need guys to connect to brothers. We need mothers, daughters, sisters. You get it. There's many other metaphors, but I want to move on to some implications of this stuff. The Bible's got very clear calls to both leaders and to congregants and to everyone in the church. But part of what it, part of what it assumes is that everyone knows uh, who's part of the church. It assumes that like, oh, you know that these people are leaders, these people are part of the church, these people are, without using a weird phrasing, in, and these people are out. These people are not part of Parkhurst, these people are part of Parkhurst. That's, uh, you, see, you see an example, maybe the most, um, the strongest, most telling example is in 1 Corinthians, where Paul writes the letter to the 1 Corinthians. He's heard of all kinds of stuff going sideways in that church. Uh, there's a guy sleeping with his mom, uh, and they're tolerating this in the church. You can imagine, this is not a healthy scenario. There's a sexual immorality going on in the church, and the church are tolerating it. And Paul says, oh, you oaks crazy. He says, don't tolerate this stuff. Put this guy, if he doesn't want to repent, put him out. Kick the oak out. Get rid of him. Now, how do you kick someone out if they're not in? You need to know who's in and who's out if you're going to kick someone out. Now, some of you are looking at me like terrified here. Let me explain a bit here. Like, well, this is not just like a warming you up to like uh, us ramping up church discipline here and we are coming for you. Um, but I will say this, that if you, if, you read your, if you read your Bible with an open mind and an open heart, you will see church discipline there. That's the word for it. And it's one of the healthiest things when it's done correctly. I've been part of churches that did church discipline badly. And there's never any excuse for re religious bullies. Elders, pastors who think they run the show and just want to kick people in, out, exercise that, they will stand before the judgment seat of God one day and it's coming for them. There's no excuse for that. They need to turn and repent. But being under wise, godly leaders who take um, care of your spiritual health and who come to you and are aware of ongoing, unrepentant sin and call you back and call you back and call you back, and there's hard-heartedness, there's no, 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 no. That's what the Bible says. Eventually, put the person out so that their soul may be saved. They'll come to their senses, treat them as an unbeliever so that they can become a proper believer. That, that's the, the method, the purpose of church discipline. And, it, and it's something that we, we have done a bit at Parkhurst. We don't do it enough. 
I'm not saying let's go on a witch hunt. I'm saying I think a healthier church takes this more seriously and is more robust about it. The Bible's not ashamed of it. We shouldn't be ashamed. We should want to be the healthiest community we can be. And if I had ongoing unrepentant sin in my life, you know what I would want? I would want you as a church to come and kick me in the backside. And if I was unrepentant, you know what I would want? I'd want you to put me out. So that my soul would be saved. So that my soul would be saved. That I wouldn't go through my life thinking I'm a Christian and living unrepentantly and then get a big surprise when I stand before Jesus one day. He's like, nope. You thought you were a Christian because your church tolerated your sin. They looked the other way. They never called you out on anything. And you end up in eternity without him. It's healthy, guys. It's healthy. It's life-giving, living like this, speaking into each other's lives. What is the call to leaders? Let's just do a couple minutes on this. What's the call to leaders? Well, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, it says this, Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing so you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Acts 20, verse 28, Paul's speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he says this, Be on your guard, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The call, the call to leadership, the call to elders, to pastors in the scriptures is a very hard thing to say. You watch your life and your doctrine closely. Make sure, because you're a shepherd of these sheep that Jesus Christ has bought with his own blood. So make sure that when you teach them, you're teaching them the Bible, that your life is lived out in an exemplary, exemplary way. It's not perfect, but even when, in that, you're modeling repentance and an ongoing pursuit of Jesus. And when we talk about leadership and eldership, we talk about three different things normally. God, guide, and govern. Guarding, guiding, and governing. That's a, a leadership work. And any church, whether it's Parkhurst or another church you join, you need to go to the leaders and say, tell me the plan in this place for what guarding, guiding, and governing looks like for us. Because if we're here as congregants under your leadership, I want to know what, is it, what does it look like when you guard? Are you guarding um, the, the theological clarity of this place, making sure no one's teaching nonsense from the pulpit or in other groups and stuff? There's, there's a guarding. They're guarding the people from attacks that will come in spiritual attacks. Are you guiding? Is there a plan to guide people? to pastor them, to shepherd them, and to govern, to organize the affairs of the church. That's why the Bible says that the keys of the kingdom are given to who? The keys of the kingdom are given to the leaders, to elders, to pastors. It's not like the keys of the kingdom. Some churches you'll go to, you'll hear them talk about the keys of the kingdom, opening and elusing things there, unlocking the blessings. I it. That's not what it talks about. It's talking about membership. It's saying you can open and close. You allow access into the local visible embodiment of the church. This is what elders do. They affirm people as members. They say, yes, you're a Christian. Join us. Or, oh, you're living in an unrepentant way. You're unwilling to acknowledge any of the sin in your life. You're not turning key out. The elders have the authority given by Jesus to both admit and to expel believers for their own good and for the health of the church so that sin doesn't spread. There's many other things. But what's the call to congregants, to us as congregants? Hebrews 13 verse 7, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. 
Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would, not, that would be unprofitable for you. What is the call of congregants now? Some of you are looking and thinking, Doug, you read that passage there. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Well, it's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. I'm just reading what's there. You know, I'm in some ways, I am an elder, I'm a leader. In other ways, I will get to the call to everyone. I'm a congregant as well. I'm a sheep before I'm a shepherd. Let me put it that way. But the Bible's call for those who call Parkhurst their home is to submit themselves to the leaders of this church, to the elders, to say, yeah, because why? It says they will, so that they can do their work and it would be a joy for them and not a grief, because if it's a grief for them, it's unprofitable to you. It, this verse made me sit down this week and think, I'm so grateful for Parkhurst. I am. I know you know me well enough either. I don't have to say nice things about you. Um, but, but leading this church is a joy. It's not a grief. What God has given us here is a wonderful people who tolerate the sound, semi-sound teaching of the scriptures. Long sermons, longer than they need to be. Tolerate me with my weaknesses and failures. Encourage me and other leaders. It's not just about me, obviously. But I feel like it's a joy. It's a joy leading this body of believers. It's not a grief. We've had bumps in the road, obviously, over the years. But as we get ready to celebrate 10 years next year, I, was, I paused and I was thankful to God. I said, God, thank you for this, this group of people. Thank you for this body that I get to love. Because one day, I have a meeting in my diary coming up with Jesus Christ. And I am accountable for your souls. I give an account for you. How did I serve? Did I love you? Did I lead you well? Did I teach you about Jesus? Did I point you to him or did I point you to myself? How did I do it? I've got that meetings coming in my diary. <laughs> it's a sobering thing. If you want to lead in God's church, settle that first. Are you ready for that meeting? I think many more of you need to step up and lead. And I think you've got it in you to do it, both men and women. But don't think you can lead anyone before you've got this clear that, hey, you're going to give an account for any leadership position you take and, and the care that you provide for, for people. So congregants are called to submit to leaders. At, at Parkhurst, I'm giving you some of the stuff. I'm just borrowing this from the Connect session that's coming after the service, so that'll be shorter. What, what are the minimum things that we think um, congregants uh, should go for? This is like the entry level for what I think it means to be a healthy church member, is to come on Sundays. If you're in Joburg, come to church. But prioritize the gathering with the body that you're a part of. I'm weighing those words there. Prioritize the gathering with the body. Now, I can see some of you are looking at me thinking, oh, Doug, you've been keeping track of when I have been here and when I haven't. We don't have an attendance register here. I'm saying this is for your own health. Prioritize. When you do it properly, it works. When you flirt around and you date a church and you dance around and you better option, Bob, that's why church feels weird and clanky. And you come here and say, I don't know anyone. Yeah, but we come, you come every five weeks. Of course you don't know anyone. You're not going to get into the life of the place if you don't come regularly. We talk about attending on Sundays. We talk about being part of midweek community, either a community group, a discipleship group, something that outside of a Sunday service because there's not a lot of chance to chat. 
Now, I mean, we've started this like saying how's it to each other at the beginning, which I think we need to give it a rest for a couple of weeks. Uh, but like, there's not much interaction. You know what I'm saying? You, where you're sharing your life with others, that's what it means to be part of a body. Imagine, imagine in your own family. Well, I've got what three kids. I was going to say that I know of, but that would be not. That would be not funny. But I said it. So now it's gone. I've got three kids and I'm married to Claire. Imagine we got together on Sundays and had like two power hours together. Lacquer. Lacquer time together. And then the rest of the week, we were just like ignored each other. No comms, nothing. That would, you would think like, yes, yokes are a bit of a dysfunctional family. That, that can't be much fun. That's not what you were made for. Exactly. I said earlier that your church family is your closest family. So if you get together for two hours on a Sunday and have a lacquer time, and then we ignore each other the rest of the week. It's dysfunctional. It's dysfunctional. You don't see it here. You don't see it here. Here you see them sharing their lives with each other, eating in each other's homes, praying with each other, doing life together. Parkers, we want everyone who calls this their home to be in a serving team on a Sunday because God has given us different gifts and abilities to serve each other and financial giving. That for me um, is the entry level. And then from then it gets more complicated. We get more involved. I, I just want to say that casual attendance at a church is not good for you and it's not good for the church. And I don't mind. I honestly don't. Well, I'd love you to join Parkhurst. I, would, I do. But if you don't want to join this church and you want to join another church, that's, that's true. There are so many lack of churches in our city. But for the love of the Lord, join something. Seriously, join it. And love it and serve it and be part of it. Because this is what you already are. All I'm trying to do this morning is provoke you to be more of who God has already made you. I'm not asking you to level up and step into a whole bunch of stuff. You are already the body of Christ. You are part of the bride of Christ. You, you are these things if you're a believer in Jesus. If you're not, you know, you've still got some stuff to do. You need to meet Jesus first. And this is a great place to do that. But, but if you are, you, you, I just want you to be more of who God has already made you. Because there's the third cause, the call to everyone. Is that we submit to, to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another, leaders, congregants, everyone else. And do you know how many one another passages there are in the Bible? In the New Testament, how many one another's? It's just, they're just all over the place. My question is, if you're not a life-giving a regular part of a body of Christ. How do, you, how do you obey all the one another passages? You can't. You can't. That's why I don't believe in online church. I don't believe in online church. There's no such thing. Fight me, but there's no such thing as an online church. You're not going to be online in heaven. It's not going to happen. You're going to be there with people. So now is preparation for them. There's no such thing as online church. We did it for a bit because you couldn't gather and it was lame. And hopefully, Lord willing, we never have to do it again. There's no such thing as that because you can't do the one another's when you're watching people on a TV screen. You can't bear one another's burdens. You can't love each other. You can't ask those difficult questions. You can't share life together through a screen. You've got to be, we are an embodied people. Jesus incarnated himself. He came in the flesh. It's a model for the church. This is how we obey all the one another's in the scriptures is that we find a body a local expression that allows us to express 
the universal church that we are a part of out of the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And we figure out our fit. We figure out whether we're a hand and an eye. And, yeah, and we and we are the best hand that we can be to bless that body. If you're part of Parkhurst, I just want to encourage you to keep leaning in. If you're already a member, and you keep, if you want to come to the Connect session after this, you're welcome to come. You don't have to. There's no pressure now uh, on you to come. But if you want to be a member, um, you have to do that. The one thing I didn't mention here, and I just want to, I'm going to pray in a second, is a side thing on baptism. I was having a very animated discussion with Dave the other day. Dave and I have lots of animated theological discussions. And um, in preparation for this, I was reading a ton of stuff, and it struck me again. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. The Bible doesn't know anything about unbaptized Christians. It doesn't know anything about them. It's not that you can't be a Christian if you're not baptized. It's just that if you read in your Bible and you want to take it seriously, there's that order that are almost joined together. Repent, be baptized. Be baptized. Make it a public declaration that you are with him, with Jesus, and then join a church. And membership is the, um, you know, the, the local, I'm with these people. You stand up in front and say, I'm with you. And we'll let you do the I'm with them if you've done the I'm with him. So here's what we want to do. I want to encourage you. I want to provoke you. I want to press all of your buttons that if you have not been water baptized as an adult, and there's a lot in that sentence, if you got dunked as a kid, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. I understand the theology, but it doesn't count here. If you haven't been dunked under the water as an adult, I want to encourage you to do it. We're going to have a big service in the start of the year, and we're going to dunk every single person, Lord willing, who's not baptized in this place. And, you know, under your own steam, you know. We're not going <laughs> to pull you out of the pull you out of the rose and wrestle you under the water. I want you to do it. I want you to do it because you want to do it. Because you've become convinced that this book talks about repent and be baptized. And that it's the easiest command that's given to you. The easiest command, guys, is to be baptized. Everything else from there gets tougher. It's the easiest thing. So if you haven't done it, start praying, thinking, gearing up. We're going to clap it in early in the new year. But let's pray. As we come to share communion together, I'm going to pray and then we're going to lead straight into communion. Father, thank you for yeah, the, the, the glory of the church. The, the idea of the church isn't something that we could have thought up in our wildest dreams, that you would call a, a people to yourself from every tribe and tongue and nation that you would pour out grace on people and call them to yourself, that you would be their God. You would forgive their sin and you would unite them together to one another as a family, as a body for all eternity. To display the manifold, manifold glory of God. And to shout about a God who lavishes grace instead of wrath. Who gives life instead of death. Mercy instead of punishment. And that's what you've done for us. And we're so grateful this morning. Those of us who are born again, we're so grateful that you have made us part of your church. 
thank you for bringing us into this wonderful, eternal um, thing. You're the head of it. You're the head of the church. You're the head of this church, Jesus, and we worship you this morning. We thank you for your love and for your leadership of us and your shepherding of us. And I pray that you would help us as a church to strive together with the Spirit's help to be the healthiest church that we can be. Now I pray for my brothers and sisters here that we would, we would keep watch over our own lives so that we would have an abundance of spiritual health and vitality to give to one another. And then when we trip and when we fail, we would have grace to help each other up to receive mercy from each other, to gospel each other, to keep running. We do this all in the joy of the life-giving spirit who we have all drunk together from. And so we worship you again this morning, Father, for bringing us into this. And we pray for the health and the future life and joy of Parkhurst. And we pray that you do a wonderful, ever-increasing thing amongst us for our good and for your glory. And we ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.